Can you hear me now? <laughs> wow. All right. I may as well back off a little bit there, maybe echoing. As I said, it's good to be with you. We, me, Kathy and I and my children have many fond memories of this church, and many of you uh, we know, and then many of you we don't know. I'm looking forward to meeting and getting to know you this week in these few services uh, that we have together. Thank you for being here this morning. People have asked about our, our about Nicole and Ryan, our children. Uh, Nicole was probably 14 when we moved from here. Ryan was about nine years old when we moved from here to, uh, to Nashville. Uh, oh, just over 25 years ago. I'm telling you, doesn't it get by fast? I mean, I can't imagine it's been 25 years uh, that, since we were here, but, uh, but it has been. And, uh, you know, a lot of you don't like you hardly age any at all. I mean, you know, what are you doing? Uh, you're doing something right, so... Uh, you look good. But uh, Nicole and her husband, Shiloh, they're, he pastors in Ashland City, Tennessee. They have three boys, so we've got three red-headed grandsons. <coughs> and uh, enjoy them. They're about 45 minutes from us. And, of course, Ryan and his wife, Kelly, don't have any children yet. They, they live in just north of Seattle, Washington, uh, so we don't get to see them a whole lot. It had been almost a year and a half since we'd seen them. And when my father passed away a couple of weeks ago, uh, Ryan flew in. Uh, and uh, we got to spend a few days with him uh, there when we were doing my dad's funeral there in Alabama. But, uh, Pastor, thank you so much for inviting me and allowing me the opportunity to stand in this place again. I appreciate it so much. Would you turn your Bibles to John chapter 6? John chapter 6. I, I may have preached this here before. If I did, it's a long time ago. And I just couldn't get it off my mind as we drove over this morning as Kathy and I came. And, and, uh, and, and as I... I listened to every one of the songs. It helped me to understand why the God, God kept directing me to this text and this passage, this message. Because, you know, I, I found out a long time ago, God knows what he's doing before we do. And uh, he's always got the right plan. It's just, you know, we just have to learn to get in on that plan. And it's awful easy sometimes to have our own plan. And I've come in with my own plan before. And I, I know how that works. And I also know how it works when we get on his plan. So this morning, John chapter 6, one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. I love this story in John chapter 6 about the little boy and his lunch. What, what an amazing story. I want you to notice the context. Look in verse 1. It said, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. Now when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he said unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove or to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Don't miss that. Jesus always knew what he was going to do before he did it. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, There's a lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? And may God add his blessings to the reading of his word. Do you understand the context here? We learn about this little boy. You know, we're probably one of the most famous little boys in Sunday school. We don't even know his name, but we know about his lunch, don't we? 
Because we've heard this. If you've been in church much of your life, you've heard this for years. I, I remember just a boy hearing this story in Sunday school time and time again. I preached this chapter in this text many times over the years, taught from this text many times. As Jesus is trying to get away from the cities, and he'd been ministering in all the cities and places where there were crowds of people, and he wants to kind of get away with his disciples. So they go out across the plain, there at the edge of the desert, and there they sit on the side of a hill. And as they're sitting there, he and his disciples, they look back across the plain, and the Bible says they see a great multitude coming toward them. Now, the Bible tells us there were 5,000 men. Now, if there were 5,000 men, we also know there was one, at least one little boy, right? Because Andrew brings this little boy to Jesus. So, there's one, so if there's one little boy, there are probably other children in that crowd. And if there are children in that crowd, you can rest assured there's some mothers in that crowd. Because I don't know many dads going to get very far from the house with the kids without mom along to watch them. So there could have been ten to 15,000 people in this multitude coming to Jesus. When Jesus sees them, he realizes they have a need. Now, he knows the spiritual need, but he also understands they'll have a physical need. Sometimes we have to meet people's physical needs to get them to the place we can see their spiritual needs met. And he says to Philip, he says, Philip, how are we going to feed that crowd? See, by the time they've walked from their homes where Jesus is, by the time he ministers to them, by the time they get back to their homes, a long period of time will have passed. They're going to be hungry. He says, Philip, how are we going to feed them? Now, he, he said this to test Peter, Peter, I mean, to Philip. And, and Phil, what Philip's response? He, he got overwhelmed. He looked at that great multitude and got overwhelmed. Well, Lord, 200 penny worth of bread would not be sufficient to, to feed that crowd. Can, can I suggest to you? I bet they didn't even have 200 penny worths. To buy that much bread. But Jesus knew they had a need. But he already knew what he was going to do to meet it. That's the great thing about serving the Lord Jesus. There's never a situation we come into that Jesus doesn't know what he's going to do. That he doesn't already know what the outcome is going to be. You just got to trust him when we don't see the outcome yet. See, that's the hard part sometimes. Is to trust him when we don't see the end result yet. And so <clears throat> Philip just got overwhelmed. And I guess if I titled this message, I would just simply call it Lessons from a Little Boy's Lunch on how to meet the needs of a multitude. So Andrew apparently is listening to what Jesus says to Philip. And so apparently Andrew goes down into the crowd and begins to ask, did anybody bring any food with you? If you brought food with you, would you be willing to give it to Jesus that he might use it to feed this multitude? In other words, he see what resources were available. Instead of getting overwhelmed by the crowd, he thought, let's see what resources are available. So he goes and he finds one little boy with one little lunch. And now he brings this little boy, I mean, right up to Jesus. Can you imagine how that little boy must felt? I mean, this is the man he's heard about this, made the lame to walk and, and the blind to see and raise people from the dead. Like he, and he's standing right, he, Andrew brought him right in front of Jesus. Can, I, can you even imagine what's going on in his mind? He's holding his lunch. Won't you see three things with me this morning about that little boy's lunch? Three simple things about his lunch. First of all, I want you to consider the amount of his lunch. Was it enough to meet the needs of 10 to 15,000 hungry people? Well, let's put it in perspective. It says he had five barley loaves and two small fish. Now, when that talks about a loaf, it's not like a loaf of bread as we know bread today. It's more like a loaf, a small round muffin type thing, if you will. Or let's just put it in terms I think we all understand. He used to say he had five barley biscuits, what he had. Now, I know you know what a biscuit is, right? You with me? 
five barley biscuits, and two small fish. Now, when I try to picture those fish, I don't envision two big old long Tennessee catfish that have been battered and deep fried, and one of them by itself would cover an oval plate. <laughs> it's a little boy's lunch. I see more like two sardines. So in perspective, he's got five barley biscuits and two sardines. Now, is that enough to meet the needs of ten to 15,000 hungry people? Well, I suggest to you that as long as he holds it in his hand, it'll never be enough. As long as he holds it in his hands, it will never come close to being enough to meet the needs of that multitude. But the Bible tells us he gives it to Jesus. Not some of it, not part of it, not most of it. He gives all of it. He puts it in Jesus' hands, and he takes his hands off. I ask you, is it now enough to meet the needs of that multitude? Well, not only has it become enough, we know the rest of the story. It's now become more than enough, hasn't it? Because we know the rest of the story, how that Jesus, he blessed it, he thanked his father for it, he, he broke it, and he bestowed it to the disciples and, and said, sit the people on the crown in groups and start passing it out. Now try to picture you're one of those disciples. Jesus has just broken up five biscuits and two sardines into enough pieces to put pieces in you and 11 other disciples' hands. You know what you got in your hands? Crumbs. And then it says, start passing it out. Now can you imagine, I mean, think about Peter. Surely, Peter, I mean, old, bold, boisterous Peter, I mean, even if he didn't say it out loud, you know he's thinking, as he looks at those crumbs, he looks at all those hungry people and thinks, pass it out. Well, just these few people in front to get a little bite, and it'll be gone, the rest of them see they didn't get any. Have you ever been to a church eating meeting where they ran out of food before they did people? Vicious crowd, trust me. But Peter knows better than question Jesus, so he starts passing it out. He, keeps, he can't get rid of it, he just keeps passing it out. And all the disciples are saying, the Bible says they pass it out that day until, it doesn't say till some of them ate, till most of them ate, till 99% of them, they all ate until they were full. Wow. Then Jesus says, now fellas, we don't be wasteful, so go pick up what's left. Again, don't you know they're thinking, pick up what's left. But they go. They come back, the Bible says they had 12 baskets left over after everybody ate until they were full. Wow. I tell people that's one basket of faith per disciple that day. Because Jesus was trying to teach his disciples a lesson. It's a lesson God tried to teach Israel all throughout the Old Testament. It's a lesson Jesus time and again taught his disciples and his followers. It's a lesson that God wants us to understand today. It's simply this, that little is much when you give it all to God. He didn't, it didn't have to be much on our end, but when we give all we have to him, he can make of it more than we ever could ourselves. Wow, was it enough, the amount of it? Well, in his own hands, no. But when he put it in Jesus' hands and took his hands off, basically saying, Jesus, it's yours. You do with it as you see fit. Then it became more than enough. But the second thing I want you to see about his lunch, not only the amount of it, was it enough to meet the needs of that multitude, but I want you to consider the adequacy of his lunch. Was it good enough to meet the needs of that multitude? Now, let me tell you how I came to this. <clears throat> Some years ago, I was doing a study. I don't even know what I was studying it for now, but <clears throat> I was doing a study on <clears throat> the types of food that people ate in that part of the world when Jesus was walking on the earth. And, and I found out something interesting. I, I found out that at that time, in that part of the world, Jesus' day, most people didn't eat bread made from barley. Matter of fact, most people used barley to feed the, the livestock, the animals. 
They didn't eat it. It wasn't for human consumption. So only the poorest people of society of Jesus' day ate bread made out of barley. So when I saw that, it's like a light bulb came on in my mind, and I realized I had just learned something about this little boy that I didn't know before. Because he had barley bread for his lunch to eat, that tells me he's from the poorest class of society of Jesus' day. Now try to imagine that little boy holding that lunch of barley bread and fish, and he looks and he sees him, and that looks like one of Jesus' disciples. I believe Andrew is his name. And what is he saying? He's coming, he's, and when he gets close enough, he can hear him. He, say, he hears him saying, did anyone bring any food with you? If you brought food with you, would you be willing to give it to Jesus that he might use it to meet the needs of this multitude? Now, wouldn't it have been easy for that little boy to look down into his lunch of barley, bread, and fish? And then look at all the people standing around. Now, think about who's standing around him. I'm pretty sure there were some <clears throat> Pharisees and Sadducees in that crowd. If for no other reason they came to hear Jesus say something or see him do something, they might accuse him of. I'm pretty sure there's probably some priests and elders. These were all the upper class, religious upper class of Jesus' day. Pretty sure there were probably some doctors, physicians in that crowd. If they've come for it for no other reason to see this great physician that has healed the sick. I bet you there's some lawyers in that crowd. If for no other reason they've come to hear this great lawgiver speak. Now understand, the robes they had on would have been a lot different than what the little boy had on. They were going to go home to a different type of home and a different lifestyle than that little boy was going to go home to. Wouldn't it have been easy for that little boy to look around him and see all those nice robes and understand these people were the upper crust of the religious society and even of the cultural society of that day? Wouldn't it have been easy to think, I'd like to give Jesus what I have. What I have is not good enough. These people would be offended by what I have. Well, this is what they feed their animals. They'd be offended by this. Now, whatever ran through his mind, we don't know. All I know is I'm glad that he gave his lunch to Jesus that day, regardless of what thoughts ran through his mind. But can I tell you something? Satan has been using that trick for years now. He tells us that what we have is not good enough for Jesus to use. Why, Jesus wouldn't want us. Jesus couldn't use us. Why, we'd be offensive to others with what we have. And he keeps so many Christians never doing anything for God because he's convinced you what you have is not good enough for Jesus to use. Well, can I tell you today, as long as that little boy held his lunch in his hands, it wasn't good enough. But the instant he put it in Jesus' hands and took his hands off, it immediately became more than adequate. Matter of fact, I don't read where anybody turned it down. Matter of fact, it says they all ate until they were full. So it didn't seem to bother anybody. And because that little boy was willing to put his lunch in Jesus' hand, a multitude, Jesus performed a miracle, a multitude of people were fed from just a small little boy's lunch of five barley loaves and two small fish. Now, <clears throat> I want to share with you, if I could, why this story means so much to me, why this account in, in the life of Jesus means so much to me. Those of you who have known me for a lot of years since I was, when I was pastor here, those times, and uh, many of you understand this, what I'm about to say, as far back as I have memories, as far, I'm talking about as far back as I can remember into my childhood, <clears throat> I've had some nervous twitches 
Uh, they call them ticks nowadays. And, and uh, <clears throat> when I was a boy, uh, growing up in rural northwest Alabama uh, in, in the 60s, and then in the 70s as a teenager, and, uh, and that, back then it would come out more in my face and my, in my neck, and, and so it made it very, very, very obvious. And uh, you, you do know that other children can be real cruel about those kind of things. And sad thing, sometimes adults can be kind of cruel about those things. And so I, I grew up with a very severe inferiority complex because they'd mock me and make fun of those twitches. And, and uh, I was to a place I, I couldn't look one person eye to eye and have a, a decent conversation with them because I was thinking, well, they're not listening to what I'm saying. They're just watching those twitches and those ticks. Back then, they didn't understand a whole lot about that, so I never was diagnosed with anything. But the father did take me to a doctor. I was probably 14 years old. <clears throat> took me to a doctor. He checked me. When he finished, he sat down, set me down, set my dad there. And this is what he said to my dad in my presence, my hearing. He says, well, Mr. Crow, it's just a nervous habit. If he really wanted to stop it, he could. See, what I wish I could have helped him understand, I'd have given everything I had and ever hoped I had to stop it. It came out when and where it wanted to. I've never had any control on it. As I've gotten older, it's dropped down in my arms and legs more. And as I get older, it gets a little worse. I had a stroke about four years ago, and I think it's been a little worse since, since the stroke. But, uh, but, but all, as far back as I have memories, I, I've had this. As a matter of fact, I knew God wanted me to be a preacher when I was 11 years old. But I ran from him. I thought I was running from him because I didn't want to be a preacher. But I realized... Later on, that wasn't it at all. The thing was, I just didn't think Jesus would want somebody like me. He couldn't use somebody like, why well, people wouldn't listen. I, could, I mean, I couldn't get up in front of a crowd. They wouldn't listen to me. They'd be listening, watching those twitches. I finally, when I was about 30 years old, I was finally diagnosed. I have a mild case of Tourette's syndrome. And uh, one of those things that's with you, you know, you, you, don't, you don't control it. And as I said, I've gotten older, it dropped. First, it dropped down into my left arm and then my left leg. And some years ago, when it started coming out my right arm, of course, up until that time, I kind of learned where to sit my drink when I was eating so I didn't knock it, you know, when that left arm would go and, and knock it over. And, and I remember a young couple asked me to go out to eat one night, and I'd, <clears throat> I'd shared this, uh, this uh, you know, this testimony. And they wanted me to go eat with them, so we go. And, and, <laughs> and I told them, I said, yeah, I have to watch that right hand. I, I don't want to knock, but listen, the whole meal, I could never find my drink. He kept moving it. <clears throat> he was helping me, he was, he was, and, uh, but I've never been able to control it, and uh, has a mind of its own. So I ran from God all my teenage life. I could have been an influence for God in my public school. I could have been an influence for God in my family. I could have been an influence of God in my friends. And I ran from him all my teenage life. So finally, after running from him all my teenage life on Thursday night, January the 5th, 1978, from the back pew of the church there in Winfield, Alabama, Youth Revival, Nate Ains preaching, I quit running from God that night and I ran to him. And I fell into his arms and got my life right with him and answered, I told him, I don't know why you want me. I don't know what you think you can do with me, but if you want me to preach, that's what I'll do. Pastor, I put it in his hands, and I took my hands off of it, and I walked away from it. Now, don't you understand something? That was six months into our marriage, and six months later, Kathy and I moved to Nashville for me to go to college, and 
back, back in Alabama a while then came here for those nine years. It was what, nine wonderful years here with you folks that were here. Some great, wonderful memories. But even though I put that in Jesus' hands all those years ago, I want you to understand something. For about 38, 39 years, almost every day I would pray and ask God to take that away. Take it away. From, I, I believe He can, I believe He has the ability, I believe He has the power. And I'd ask him every day, and, so, and I'd even try to bargain with him. I know you don't do this. You don't try to bargain with God. I'm sure you're not like me. But I'd even say, now, Lord, I mean, I'm pastoring that church in Cookville, Tennessee. And, and Lord, we, we have, I, I mean, some wonderful, Lord, don't you think I'd be more effective if you took, and then I'd go to whole missions, and then what's now National, uh, North American Ministries and Missions. And I'd say, Lord, don't you think I, I, I'd be a better servant here if you take that away? And I became director, and Lord, don't you think? I mean, I'm the director of this department. I got to get go to meetings with college presidents and bank presidents and lawyers. Don't you think I'd be more effective, Lord, if you'd take that away? And he never took it away. I couldn't understand it. Why he let me keep it. But as I get older, I began to understand. Several things about that. One thing is this. It's allowed me to minister to some people I would have never been able to minister to otherwise. I can't tell you now as I've traveled across our denomination from church to church, from west coast to east coast, from Alaska, from Alaska down to Canada to Mexico, as I've traveled in our churches, I've met so many people and so many young people with Tourette's. They have a much more severe case than I have. Many of them would almost jerk constantly, could not control, and it's always constant jerking unless they were on medication of some type. And when I go and meet them and they'd hear me preach, I'd share my testimony. When they wouldn't listen to any other preacher, they'd listen to me. And I could sit down and look them in the face. I remember one young man, his head was jerking so hard. I got a hold of his face. Both my hands and I held his head. I said, and he, he wouldn't look at me. I said, look at me. Don't you look down, you look at me. I said, you have value. You have worth. The world tries to tell you you don't. Your friends try to tell you you don't. They want you to think you don't have anything that Jesus can use. But I'm telling you, I want you to understand, you put that in Jesus' hands. Put it in Jesus' hands. Take your hands off of it. And then let Jesus do what he wants to with it. I said, I said to so many, you don't have to let Tourette's define who you are. You let God define who you are with Tourette's or with whatever issue it is that you may have. You see, it's allowed me to minister to people that would have never listened to me otherwise. It also helps to keep me humble because I know that no matter what God does in my life in ministry, it wasn't me. It's him. It helps to keep me humble. You know, we all need something to keep us humble. Because the natural course, fleshly course, is to, you know, not be humble. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that. But something happened a few years ago that I guess put this in perspective for me more than anything else. Even understanding those things I've just shared, I still prayed every day. God, please take that away. Please take it away. 
boarded a plane in Nashville. It was a Delta flight. And I fly Delta so much I tell people I'm close to becoming the chaplain of Delta Airlines. And uh, <clears throat> when you fly them a lot, fly them a lot, you have, there's a lot of perks. You get a lot of first-class upgrades. And it doesn't cost a penny more just because you fly them so much. And so I did bump me to first class. So I'm sitting in about the second row. There's like five rows of seats in first class. I was in like the second row. There's a seat, an empty seat beside me. And they're still boarding the plane. People still coming on the plane. So <clears throat> as I'm sitting there, I hear this loud voice of some man. I mean, he's, he's loud. He hadn't got on the plane yet, but he's in the jetway. But I, I mean, I can hear him all the way out in the jetway. And, he, and he's talking loud, and he's just, he's just saying a lot of rude and crude things. And, you know, I'm thinking, my word, what in the world's going on out there? I mean, I, I, if he's saying those things to somebody, they're going to be a fight before they get on this plane. And, <clears throat> well, <clears throat> when he finally comes on the plane, he steps in the aisle there where I can see him. It's this big old guy, had his cowboy hat on and blue cowboy boots, and this big old western buckle and thing and and and, and he just and he's just and he's talking loud and he's just saying some rude and crude things and look he's not talking to anybody he, he doesn't even have a, a an earpiece he's not even talking to anybody on the phone you know it, it, for a long time i kept responding to people that i thought was talking to me but they weren't talking to me they're talking on their phone heard two men in the bathroom one day one of them talking on his phone a guy next to him trying kept trying to respond to him but he didn't have one of those. He's, he's not on the phone. He's just, he's just talking. I mean, it's just, he's just saying some ugly and rude and crude things. And I'm thinking, my goodness, this guy's nuts. And as he starts down that, down that aisle, I started praying. Lord, please don't let him sit beside me. Listen, God does that stuff to me. And I, I, was, listen, I was tired, okay? I mean, I was exhausted. I didn't want to have, I didn't have to talk to anybody. I just, I just wanted a little downtime, just, just kind of rest, relax a little I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just tired. And when I'm really tired or don't feel well, sometimes I don't always react the way I want to react to things. I tell people my greatest struggle is I am possessed by a redneck. <clears throat> what I mean is this. You know, Paul said, even, I'm talking about even after he got saved on the Damascus Road, he said still every day there was a battle that went on inside of him. The flesh wars against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And so every day, so if Paul had that struggle, guess what? We're going to have that struggle too. And I tell people that's what I call my flesh. It's my resident redneck. One fellow said, is his name Legion? I said, no, I think his name's Leroy. But anyway, <clears throat> most days I keep him beat down right well. But sometimes when I'm really tired, I'm sick, or maybe I'm sick and tired, he comes out. And so I'm praying, Lord, you know, Lord, I'm tired. You know if, you, if he sits beside me, he'll, he'll keep that mess up, and I'd hate to have to whip him all over first class. Please, <clears throat> please don't let him sit beside me. Well, he passed my row. Oh, I, thank you, Lord. Jesus, this is a good day. Well, he sits in first class. He sits in the back row, the fifth, about the fifth row. So he's like three rows, two or three rows behind me. He sits down. <clears throat> now, there's nobody seated in the seat beside him. But he's still talking. Loud. He, and I, I look back. He's not, there's nobody. He's not talking to anybody. He's just loud, obnoxious, and rude. Talking about and where he comes from, everything's better. Where he comes from, everything's bigger. And I, now, listen, if you're from Texas, let me just ask you to forgive me right now. First thing I'm thinking, that man's from Texas. Well, you know, he was. But anyway... <laughs> So, he's, so, so now they, everybody's boarded, they, they shut the doors, <clears throat> we get ready, they tax this out. They tax, listen, the guy hadn't stopped the whole time. I mean, he, it just, and, and I look back and the guy that was seated in the seat beside him was turned completely sideways in his seat away from this guy. <clears throat> just an obnoxious guy. And, and so I'm, you know, I'm just thanking the Lord, hey, 
I said, thank you, Lord, you didn't, you didn't make me sit beside him. Oh, and I, you know, I thank you. About halfway through the flight, one of the flight attendants comes to me, and she says, she says, sir, can I ask you a question? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, that, this, that guy back there, doing all that loud talking stuff. She said, you know him? I said, ma'am, why are you asking me? I thought I was being pretty good. She said, well, I just noticed you had on cowboy boots and he had on cowboy boots. I said, so you think everybody in the world that wears cowboy boots knows each other? It's like a LinkedIn network, you understand? <clears throat> I said, I don't know him. Yes, he's loud. Yes, he's rude. Yes, he's up. But I don't know him. Well, we're starting to come down now. And as we're coming down, <clears throat> getting ready to land, <clears throat> I'm thinking, now, Lord, I don't want to have any opportunity to have to talk to him. You've helped me. You've blessed me so far. I had not had to say one word to him, him one word to me. <clears throat> so I'm thinking, Lord, when I get to help me get off this plane quick. Now, listen, when you fly very much, you, you learn to split second that seatbelt sign going off. And I mean, that sign was off. And I had an aisle seat. And I just, I mean, I was up and had my bag. I was the first person waiting at the door for that door to open. They opened that door. I hit the jet walk, got out into the terminal. And I'm walking through the terminal. I'm thinking, oh, wow. thank you, Lord. I didn't have to talk to him. didn't have to say one thing. And all of a sudden behind me somewhere, I hear somebody says, Hey, you! Now, I know my name's not Hey, you. But who's not going to turn around and look? I turn around and look, and it was him. And he was like, Yeah, you, wait a minute! And he's running toward me. I think, Lord, no, please. Lord, you let me, you let me not have some... <laughs> well, when he gets to me, he's winded, and he catches his breath finally. Then what, looks at me, this is what he says to me. He says, You just got off that plane back there, didn't you? maybe he said no it's you I know it's you and he looked at me and this is what he said he said I need to ask you something I figured he's going to ask me where I said yes or no so I said okay ask me and this is what he said to me he said what's wrong with you and I said excuse me he said what's wrong with you that causes you to jerk and, 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 and you know, and, and, and he started doing this with his arms, you know. Causes you to, you know, and who does that? Who comes up to a complete stranger and says, what's wrong with you? And listen, I'm telling you, the redneck is trying to climb out. I mean, that was unnecessary. That was uncalled for. Had no reason to do that. I hadn't bothered him. I hadn't said one thing to him. And I, and, and I mean, what's wrong with you? He said, it affects your motor skills so. Now what I want it, now I can be, <laughs> I can be very sarcastic when I want to be, and sometimes when I don't want to be. I, have, I tell somebody I have the gift of sarcasm anyway, but it's not a gift, by the way, okay, I'm just kidding. I wanted to say, you know, what, what is, affects your motor skills? I want to say, oh, you mean my ability to work on a car? What are you talking about? But I didn't. I held it down. I said, well, sir, if you have to know, I have a mild case of Tourette's. He said, I knew it. I'm thinking, if you knew it, why did you run me down here and ask me? And then his tone began to change a little bit. And this is what he said. He said, you're a preacher, aren't you? Now, I, wouldn't, I, didn't, I don't travel in a suit and tie. I don't have to. I was casual. I'm probably having my shirt tail out. I don't have a thing. I stick on my forehead. Yes, I'm a preacher, you know. He said, you're a preacher, aren't you? I said, yeah. He said, and you don't pastor a church. You, you travel all over and preach. Now, this is getting kind of weird because I don't know this guy. I said, yeah. He said, you preach in a lot of churches. I said, yeah. He said, uh, I need to tell you something. 
See, I used to be a Christian. I used to go to church. He said, but when I was young, I started making a lot of money. He said, I mean, a lot of money. And I quit church and I quit the Lord. And all these years now, I've been making lots of money. But he said, God's been dealing with me lately. He said, when I walked on that plane, when I got back got at your row, he, he called you to my attention. And in my heart and mind, he impressed me, that man's a preacher. When you get off of this plane, you need to get with him. He can help you. He said, so I, that's why I chased you down out here. He said, because I needed to tell you. God put you on that plane for me. He says, I need to get things right with the Lord. He says, you got time? You can pray with me and help me to do that? I said, I've got time. Now, he was at his destination. I, I had a, a, a connection to make, but I had to. I said, yes, sir, I'll make time. So now, this is a busy airport. I mean, there's people around. So we did, I said, let's step over to the side. We stepped aside, and there's some seats against the wall. And so I went and sat down. When he just gets, he just gets on his hands and knees right in front of that chair. I was like, well, okay. So I turned around and knelt beside him. And, and, and then I said, I said, okay, I tell you what, now I'm, I'll, I'll pray for you first. And then, then you pray when I finish. And you ask God to, you know, ask God to forgive you. And ask God to, you know, to help you understand what he wants you to do. I prayed and he started praying. I realized he didn't do anything softly. He starts praying to the top of his lungs in this busy airport. I mean, it's loud, just begging, oh God, I'm such a sorry, rotten sinner. God, please forgive me. I mean, just, and just, and I can feel people coming up behind us. And we're in an airport. I, and I kind of opened, you know, the Bible says, watch and pray. And I kind of opened one eye and looked. And I said, I realize people are stumbling up behind us and standing. And in a few minutes, I, I, I hear somebody, once I hear somebody say, well, well amen. And I heard a lady say, well, praise the Lord. And I heard somebody, well, hallelujah. And I mean, I, I, when we finished praying, I can get up. There's like 40 people that had gathered around us. I mean, we're about to have revival in this airport. I mean, that's bound to be illegal or something. Supposed to have revivals in airports. I mean, these people, listen, they were grabbing us and hugging our necks and kissing us on the cheek like we'd family they hadn't seen in 50 years. And I didn't have a clue who any of them were. When they finally got all got away, just me and him again, he grabbed me, hugged my neck, says, he said, thank you so much. Oh, you'll never know what this has meant to me. He said, as soon as I get home, I'm going to tell my wife what I did. We're going to get in church. I said, you promise me you'll do that. He said, I promise you, preacher. I'm gonna, we're going to get in church, and we're going to serve the Lord. And then he, we, he hugged my neck again, and he walked to go get his car, and I started walking to my next connection. As I was walking to that connection, you see, that man, what brought him away from the Lord, he told me, he says, my little brother had Tourette's. But his was a much more severe case than yours. It was so bad he jerked constantly. He rarely would not only get out, not get out of the house, he rarely came out of his room. When he was 16 years old, he couldn't stand it anymore. And he took his own life. He said, I've been mad at God ever since. As I was walking away from that man in that airport that day, all of a sudden, I had it. I finally, after nearly 40 years, I finally understood it. I'd been praying the wrong way. I'd been praying and saying, God, please take 
that Tourette's away. Take away those twitches and ticks, God. Please, I'd beg him, take away. I'd been praying the wrong way. And that day, for the first time in my life, and the first time in my ministry, I prayed and I said, Lord, thank you for Tourette's. Lord, it keeps me humble. Thank you for Tourette's. It helps me to minister to people I would never have been able to minister to otherwise. It helped me today to be able for you to use me to help this man today. God, thank you for Tourette's. And every day since then, every day I pray and I say, Lord, thank you for Tourette's. You got to understand something. God has a purpose for everything in your life. Even the things you think are the bad things. The things you think are the weaknesses, the things you think are the mistakes, the things you prayed and begged God to take away from you. You know what he's waiting on? If you hadn't already done it, he's waiting for you to put it in his hands and take your hands off of it and say, here it is, Lord, here's all of it. It's yours. Put it in your hands. For those 38 some odd years that I ministered, listen, God blessed and God was good. I just prayed the wrong way all those years until I learned to thank him for something he put in my life that's helped me to be a better minister, better pastor, better preacher, better servant, better husband, better father. One day in my office before Richard Adams retired and then passed away, Brother Richard Adams one day, he said, David, I, I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know those ticks in you. Of course, if people around me a whole lot, I think they kind of get used to it. They don't, they don't tend to notice it as much, as some people said. He said, I'm, he said, I don't think, he said, I think you've been healed. I said, have you been praying for that? He said, I have. I said, stop. He said, you don't want me to pray? I, I said, no, don't you pray for God to heal me from that because I said, if God heals me, it'll mess up a couple of pretty good sermons I preach. When I had the stroke, I was in the hospital, and, and, and the heart doctor that was there in the emergency room, when, I, when Kathy took me, took me down there that night, he, he, you know, he finds out, he says, one of the other doctors, young doctor, said, I know, he has, I know she has some ticks. He said, he said is, is that from the stroke? I said, no, sir, I've had those. That's from a stroke. I had a stroke when I was born, because I said, I've had those all my life. I have a mild case of Tourette's. Well, this guy found out about it. And he, he comes in my room. And, and, and of course, he'd already tried to have had me already with some rare disease that nobody had ever heard about, you know, he's going to heal me from. And, and, and when I found out I didn't have that, then he was kind of thought, acts like he disappointed him. I didn't have it. You know, he's going to be able to heal that and put write this up in a journal somewhere. And he was kind of acting like he was kind of mad when he found out, you know, that he couldn't do that. And I just had, he, he come in his mouth. He said, well, they found, you just had a stroke. Just a stroke. No thanks. And, and so the other, he, this old guy, he, he finds out. He comes in, he says, he says, I understand you have Tourette's. I said, yes, sir, I'm okay. He says, I'm a Tourette's doctor. I said, that's good. He says, listen, you need to make an appointment with me. He said, I can help you. I said, no, that's okay. Thank you, though. He said, listen, I'll, I'll see you. For, it won't even cost you anything. I'll see you for free. I said, no, thank you. He said, you don't want me, you want me to help you? you want me? He said, listen, I can treat you. I can help you. I said, no. I said, honestly, I, I, I don't want you to heal me. I said, because if you heal it, it's going to mess up a lot of who I am. Because that's just a part of who I am. After, after now 63 years of my life, this is just part of who I am. He walked out shaking his head. He think, I know he's thinking, that guy's an idiot. <laughs> Doesn't want me to cure his Tourette's. But you see, 
Sometimes God gives you some things in your life to make you better when we think it's making us worse. Third and final thing about that lunch, and I'm done. And you've been so kind. You've been so gracious. Thank you so much. A lot of wonderful memories preaching on this stage. Not only the amount of it, was it enough? Not only the adequacy of it, was it good enough? But the final thing you have to understand about that little boy's lunch was the availability of it. Until he made it available for Jesus to use, the crowd wasn't going to be fed. The miracle wasn't going to happen. Until he made it available, until he physically put it in Jesus' hands and took his hands off and said, Jesus, it's all yours. That wouldn't, none of that would have happened. We wouldn't have had that story in the Bible had he not made it available for Jesus to use. Jesus may be waiting for you to put what you have in his hands. The good things and the bad. The things you do well and the things you think are the mistakes and the weaknesses in your life. Waiting for you to put it in his hands so he can take it and do with it what you can't do and what I can't do. Would you bow with me for prayer? <clears throat> Lord Jesus, I love you. Lord, thank you for this church, this place, and these people, this pastor and staff, all these musicians. Thank you for letting us be here today. Oh, how honored, Lord, I am to get to stand in this pulpit again and just share my heart. That's all I've ever really known how to do. And, Lord, I, I, I really believe there's somebody sitting out here today, maybe a young person, got some things in their lives that they've not put in your hands. They've tried to handle it themselves. They've tried to take care of it themselves. And, I know what that's like, Lord, because I've done the same thing and I make a mess out of it every time I do. And they will too. Lord, if there's someone here who's not a Christian, never accepted you as their personal Lord and Savior, Lord, I don't know what in this world they're waiting on. The way this world's going, it's not getting better, it's getting worse rapidly. And we better have Jesus when things come down here. Lord, they need to put their whole life in your hands today. Maybe some father, some mother, some grandma, some grandpa. There's some things they need to put in your hands, Jesus. Maybe some things they put there years ago, but recently things have happened. Circumstances arise, life happens, and they've put their hands back on some things and tried to handle it themselves. And they're making a mess out of it. God, help them to come back and put it back in your hands. God, give us the courage not to worry about what somebody might think of us going to the altar, but to worry about what you have for us here at the altar today. God, you've got help, you've got hope, you've got healing, you've got encouragement, you've got forgiveness, you've got salvation, you've got grace, you've got mercy to be had by any and all of us. If we'll just come and receive it. God, thank you for Tourette's. In spite of that, you gave me a beautiful wife. You gave us children, grandchildren. You've given us 
wonderful opportunities in ministry. And Lord, I'm sorry it took me so long to figure it out that I wasn't praying the right way. Thank you. Thank you for Tourette's. I pray, Lord, you'll help everybody here to understand they don't have to be anybody else but the person you created them to be. So God, I pray, speak to hearts. Don't let us leave here today the same as we came in. Give us the courage to do what you've given us to do here this morning. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you for it. With heads bowed and eyes closed, would you stand quietly to your feet as we stand together in prayerful attitude. They're going to sing a song, Come to the Altars, the song. If God's speaking to you, you know the Holy Spirit. If he's speaking to your heart, you know it. And if there's some things in your life you need to come put in his hands or some things you need to put back in his hands, don't wait for somebody else. Don't hesitate and let Satan talk you out of it. As they sing that song and the Spirit of God speaks to your heart, you bring it to this altar right now as they sing. Oh, come. 